Welcome to episode 229 of the 1099, and welcome to 2020. I hope you had a good 2019, and whether your year was colored by hardship or success, I want you to know that you guys have got a place to take care of yourself with the 1099, and I hope that this show continues to give you guys something meaningful to think about, or maybe at least a moment to relax among the hubbub of your day. And perhaps it is fate that I have this week's guest lined up for our first episode of the new year. Today, we are going to explore what two very interlinked things can teach us, video games designed as personal memoirs and therapy. And I cannot think of a better guest to help us learn than secrety secret game developer and former Gama Sutra editor, Emma Kidwell. Emma, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I, I hope Secrety Secret Game Developer was uh, the appropriate title there. Uh, I know you are uh, you you have a new line of work, and it, it yes. is always interesting to hear about you know people who go from games media over to uh, development side. And uh, I, for people who don't know who Emma Kidwell is, I suppose let's real quick start off with. Uh, where where did you start with games media and what made what made sense about jumping over to a uh, game development? Yeah, sure. Um, so I went to college for quote unquote game design back in I think when I was 21, I just turned 21 and I uh, was studying games writing in particular and there was a focus in uh, games journalism and I figured that I like writing why not? And uh, as I was going to school, I started uh, freelancing um, and I became an intern for Kill Screen initially. And then through, I don't know how, I got my first uh, reviews uh, work with Polygon. That just eventually led to freelancing all over the place while I was in college. And then when I graduated, I started working for... Um, Gama Sutra's, uh, since Gama Sutra and GDC are affiliated, um, I started working for their VR kind of vertical, essentially, in the beginning. Oh, cool. Yeah, um, it was called VRDC. And uh, eventually that contract dried up and the editor-in-chief of Gama Sutra, Chris Graft, he's very great. He offered me to be a contributing editor for Gama Sutra and I had been there for two years uh doing their news editing um so basically just i'm sure you're very aware of it seeing what's hot and new and fresh in the games industry and reporting on that through whatever angle fits your vertical uh so while i was in the reporting space for a little bit the end goal was always to be in games um specifically writing the games or writing the dialogue or just helping out in any way so to do that, I would make tiny games on the side uh, through college, um, just for fun. Uh, were they all twine games or were they a variety of things? They were all twine games. Um, one of them, because when I was going through school, that's when I was learning how to use a variety of game engines. Uh, Unity was the one that I was taught. So I made a couple things through there, but I wanted to be able to make things quickly. Uh, and while I can program and make art, gosh, I am not great at it. So <laughs> I wanted to find something that would fit to my strengths. Um, 
And I played a game by Nina Freeman when I was in college called Mangia, I think is how you pronounce it. And it was built in twine and I played that. And that's when I decided, oh, that's exactly what I want to do. And then I started doing it a little bit and um, I made a game about buying condoms in college. And that kind of is where it took off. And now I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I did end up playing uh, two of your twine games. Yes. Uh, half a game that you made about uh, kind of living with a, a mixed racial identity. Mm -hmm. And then Not If You Can Hear Me, uh, this really, really touching game about like grief and memory loss and and centered around like Alzheimer's and everything mm -hmm. and memoir games. I, I don't know if people who uh, e even play a lot of games maybe understand like, you know, what really makes a, a game as a memoir. Uh, what do we mean when we talk about memoir games? Let's make sure we're defining this. What is, what is a memoir game? Sure. Um, I could be wrong because I, I do use memoir games and sort of a semi or like an autobiographical kind of game interchangeably. Uh, despite, I I like to use memoir just because it's shorter and it's still based off of um, something in your life that either was historical or something that you learned. Um, if we're going by dictionary.com, which I definitely wasn't. <laughs> um, I That's what I think. It's just taking something uh, personal t about your life and then making it digestible and i like to say i'm fictionalizing my life that way um because while it is a biography an autobiography i don't want you to know if it's real or not if that makes sense i could i could definitely um, understand that because there is like with at least with half and not if you can hear me there was this element of I'm I'm reading a a story that could fit into a, a you know a different book by a different person and there's almost like mm -hmm. a dreamy kind of atmosphere to it the way the writing flows and the way the the general description of uh, uh say like you know your your grandmother's um home uh kind of does feel like a almost like a dream where you wake up and like it's very vivid for like 15 seconds but then your brain starts to wonder like what elements of that were real and, and you know, what, what parts of that were like clearly influenced by uh, uh, real parts of my own life, et cetera. Right. That's a good way of putting it. And go ahead. Um, just to that. Um, I think, especially when you're the author of whatever you're making, there's kind of that element of control you have where you get to, create the narrative and spin it however you want, whether that's good or bad. Um, don't actually do that if you're writing a memoir because that's not correct, but I don't know, taking something and then kind of shaping it into what you want isn't necessarily great for defining things, but that's how I've just chosen to do it because when I think of a memoir game, I mostly just think of this person made a very personal game either about themselves or about something that happened to them and everything else is fiction is how I would define that, mm -hmm. I guess, in a very long-winded way. I guess it's the it's the pitfall or the the hurdle that like every, you know, kind of story designer has to overcome is if I'm going to tell something with roots in reality, what mm -hmm. elements of it am I going to take and what elements of it am I going to uh, leave behind me? Uh, you see that all the time with, you know, games that maybe 
deal with war or uh, other sorts of conflicts. I know uh, uh, Miami, a Miami, Ohio University professor, uh, Bob DeShooter, uh, fairly, back in maybe like mid-2019, released a game uh, about his grandmother's experiences uh, like growing up in uh, war, World War II uh, uh, France, I think, or something to that. Uh, one of the you know regions that like in the countryside, it's, a, it's as torn up as it is in the cities. And her essentially memoir of kind of hunkering down for weeks or months at a time and like hearing soldier convoys go by and like, you know, trying to make sure that there's enough food and supplies for everybody and all that. And I got to imagine... Of course, he he did this. He did that. He kind of formulated the story based on interviews with her, and mm. it's all going through a filter. Of course, it's going through a filter of her recollection and opinion, and then it's going through Bob's uh, personal, you know, filter, and then it's going through the filter of like, well, how do I make this into a game? And right uh, when you when you play it, there's a a little bit of like a almost like a horror element where like little little mementos of life on that like quaint kind of farmhouse are popping up and you're like that wasn't there before that's a little creepy but i get that it's like trying to illustrate hey here's this thing that like grandma shooter uh, remembers from her childhood and such so uh, when we first started dming each other uh we, we joked about having a really shitty memory and we apparently met at uh, GDC not that long ago. Uh, and terrible memory is something that I deal with too. Uh, just the, the idea that I am constantly forgetting something, uh, drives me up the wall, like forces me to like walk back down the block to make sure I lock the door or like, uh, I, I, I always feel like I'm behind on something, I think. So, uh, not if you can hear me this game, you know, uh, about, the Alzheimer's uh, or just general like, you know, effects of aging that your grandma went through and how it also impacted you uh, will serve. We'll use this as kind of the last question to really dive into you before we talk about some broader topics. Uh, but tell me about the process of turning that experience into a game. How do you communicate? How do you build an experience that communicates those themes and those like really difficult feelings uh, into something that like a player can dive into and at least surface level understand in about 15 minutes. Sure. Uh, so when I make twines personally, because I feel as though I always have to justify using that as the platform I want to tell a story on for some reason, even though twine is a fantastic engine and I should just be able to make whatever I want anyway. Uh, that's how this brain works. Um, I wanted to challenge myself by learning something new and sitting down and getting out, quote unquote, on paper, how I felt. And uh, this isn't the best way to go about doing things when you are in a bad headspace. So do not do this. Um, it was, I think I was, I know I was still in college and I was, uh, my grandfather was slowly, rapidly dying of cancer uh, at the time. And my grandmother um, was starting to suffer into, I think it was dementia. Mm -hmm. And so there was a space where when I was a, a kid, I basically grew up at my grandparents' house, um, had these great memories. And then every time I went there, I would avoid 
the two of them because it would remind me of this is what I'm going to be when I'm old. Uh, and so I got really drunk one weekend and spent it very alone in my bed and just typed this thing out in three days. It wasn't healthy, but I got out all of these feelings and I read it back to myself, didn't have an editor. It just, it was very much a fit of passion where I had a lot of complicated feelings about something and didn't know who to talk to, what to do with it. So I basically just sat down with an open document and poured out all of these feelings. And then my designer brain looked at it and went, how do we make this into something that isn't just like a little story? You know, how can we put interactive elements into this where the mechanics supplement how you're feeling? So to gamify it, I guess I figured out how to put certain um, dialogue into a timer, have things pop up randomly, go away, um, have me question you know, my own uh, sanity in the sense of, you know, I can't remember where I left my keys. You know, I'm slowly aging backwards and my brain is going to melt. Mm -hmm. And um, when I try and remember the headspace I was in for making that, um, I used to justify making sad things by like saying that, you know, it's good to process it and I'm processing it. And like, now I don't have to talk about it or think about it ever again. <laughs> That's not true at all. Nope. And yeah, it's just, it's very easy to fall into the trap of, I can only make good things when I'm sad, especially if it has a good reception or a reception that you weren't expecting. Cause then you can kind of feed into that cycle of, well, people like when I'm sad. So, you know, got to enable that behavior. Um, it's, that's always kind of been the process for me. Have a feeling, and it's very intense, at least when I made Not If You Can Hear Me. Have a feeling, it's very intense. Get it out of your system, and then it's gone. Um, and then I didn't process that until I started going to therapy. Because when I made that game, I was not in therapy. I didn't think it was something I needed. Um, and it was just, it, it felt like it was a weakness, you know, like I don't need to pay someone to listen to me to, you know, I can just bottle these up or talk to a friend. No, you can't. But sometimes you have to hit a very low point before you realize, oh, I should pay a professional to crack this brain open. That was very long-winded. I'm sorry if I didn't answer your No, question. no, you you actually, you said, you said a lot there that like really piqued my interest because I, I was ultimately going to ask like, do you go to therapy? And uh, I myself started going to therapy uh, around like you. maybe early October or sometime in September-ish. Uh, mm -hmm. And so I've, I've been there a little while, uh, not the longest, um, but... I, I'm finally kind of hitting a, a like regular swing of things where you know I'm going in and I'm, I'm telling my therapist how my week or month has been and we're trying to kind of pick apart individual factors and there have been a few like really good breakthrough moments of like, oh, okay, thank you for like recontextualizing this thing that I've been worried about or like, or, you know, with therapy, I think people have the 
impression that it's going to be a bunch of aha moments of like, oh, the reason I'm this way is because my dad never loved me. Or the reason I'm this way is because I have PTSD from X, Y, or Z traumatic thing. And right. while obviously those those things can and, and often are connected, therapy, at least in my experience so far, has been uh, much slower and much more about not not having discovery moments but giving you tools to very gradually form your own i hesitate to even use the word discovery again but like tools to form your own kind of recontextualized way of thinking of instead of instead of worrying about how i wasn't invited to the company christmas party let me instead focus on the good things about you know the work i do or the the connections i've made or etc uh and i imagine yeah like you said for for someone making a game especially if it has a positive reception as you know like you think about like any any indie game that like became really popular uh but you you see the developer is like still someone living in a like not great apartment uh and they're like work-life balance is shit uh there obviously is a level of uh uh, positive mental reinforcement when they get that uh positive reception to their game but it isn't it isn't the actual tool you should be using to uh help you uh, approach the issues that malign your life. Am I on the right path there? Yeah, I think you said that very well and articulated that point incredibly, incredibly. So thank you for being able to glean that from my very long rambly sentence. Um, but yeah, I, I have been in therapy. Um, right after I made Not If You Can Hear Me, I it took a couple of months based on just... Um, uh, like I grew up in a very loving household, um, based on just, uh, cultural differences and generational gaps. Um, it's not like I was ever, you know, not listened to or anything. I I don't want anyone to think that like, oh, Emma grew up in an un, like an unloving household, despite the fact that her parents have never hugged her. Like that is not the case. Um, it's just, uh, yeah, I, I, it's, something that never even seemed like it was a possibility, like a possibility for me, just until I kind of had a little, not a breakdown, but more of an, oh, I don't think this is how I'm supposed to function, especially after years of, you know, not knowing what depression was. Mm -hmm. I just thought like, oh, that's when you get sad. I'm sad all the time, get over it. And um, I've been in therapy since, for, for two years now, I believe. Um, and you're right about how things don't come in aha moments. That rarely happens. Um, it's more of a gradual, like I'm still learning things about myself, even despite being in a space for two years. So it's very much an ongoing process and you get to choose kind of the pace in which you're ready to go about doing it. Um, but also everyone should go to therapy if you can afford it. Mm-hmm. I know it's it's almost like a luxury just based on how uh, healthcare works in this in this country right now. Um, but if if you can afford it, uh, I definitely recommend it. Um, it is 
it can do nothing but good, I think, even though it's hard. Yeah. Uh, and, and of course, there's different forms of therapy, too. I, I go to a fairly Correct. standard uh, therapist who just we, we talk for f- about 50 minutes and he, he's working from a, a, a lesson plan of sorts and a, and a education that he you know, obviously received. But there are different kinds of therapy where uh, I know people who go to therapy for much more traumatic uh, things in their life and like helping them kind of cope or overcome them uh it, with different styles of techniques or exposure therapy or something like that and mm-hmm. yeah the uh the aha moments is definitely a kind of a a hollywoodified uh take on therapy the only the only real aha moment i ever had ironically was something that kind of made me realize how shitty i can be to myself and to other people sometimes uh <laughs> my my therapist uh I, I i deal with a lot of like professional jealousy and and envy yeah. uh and my therapist was like well have you ever considered that there's there's like a part of you or like that you you give in to narcissism and when he said narcissism uh, like the the classic light bulb went off and I'm like, oh, okay. And he's like, there's a difference between like a narcissist and narcissism. Like I'm not, I'm right. not ruining my life and other people's lives with be by being a narcissist. Uh, but I do have elements of narcissism in my personality because of all the, the shortcomings I feel I have. So yeah, I, you know, one thing that I would be curious to ask you as someone who's, really balanced like developed a number of games focused on the subject uh we we just talked about games can't serve as a form of therapy that will the reception to a game while good and and positive and you know positive reinforcement it, it can't be the end game for like your therapeutic treatment right uh right so but a lot of people do use arts and artistic outlets like my partner uses painting uh, and some people you will use writing as a like professionally recognized outlet for therapy. Like there is literally art therapy. Uh, do you think that Correct. that's, what do you think that that looks like in the video game space? Cause obviously painting and writing are very different things than sitting at a computer and, and writing out a twine game or creating a model or, or coding or programming something what do you think art therapy looks like in the video game space this is going to be a very broad answer i think it can look like anything you want it to look like as long as you can recognize that you're not using it as a crutch Mm -hmm. which takes a lot of self-awareness um and i forgot to mention in the beginning because i really wanted to do that Uh, i am not a mental health professional at all and neither am i and i yeah i'm just speaking off of my experience and what works for me might not work for you but you know there's that little disclaimer um but it i've become i've been able to recognize when i'm taking things from my personal life now and using it as kind of a supplement to the talk therapy that i've been doing for a while now Um, I think it takes, again, a lot of self-awareness, like when you want to work on a project, um, asking yourself questions like, not like gamey questions, like who's the intended audience, blah, blah, blah. More so, what do I want to get out of this Mm -hmm. personally? What am I trying to say? And have I processed the themes that I want to talk about? 
um, especially for half. Um, I started writing that in October of 2018. And half, um, half is the game that you made about living with a, a mixed racial identity, right? Correct. Yeah. Right. And that was a thing in my um, adult life that just started bothering me out of nowhere. And it built up and built up. And I figured I never really talked about this in therapy too much just because um, I didn't feel as though I needed to talk about it, but I started writing about it and um, used it as kind of, that was my little artistic outlet um, just for fun, something that I wanted to do on the side. And then because 2019 was a complete garbage fire, um, mm -hmm. my grandmother in Japan also has Alzheimer's. So it runs on both sides of my family. And my um, grandfather in Japan passed away in February. So I had to pause that, um, go to Japan, clean up my grandparents' house. And I went through all these memories and had to experience grief again and loss. And it kind of brought up a lot of things that I did unpack in therapy, but they were, these were new now. I was an adult, clearly. I, when I made Not If You Can Hear Me, I hadn't experienced death in my family till I was 21. So I went through most of my life thinking, no one I love is going to die. That's not a thing that exists. Mm. And then it hits you like a truck. Mm. And then you learn how to deal with it. And then you learn, oh no, grief comes in very different ways and is not linear at all. Um, so yeah, when I was making half kind of using it as an outlet, but then stopping for several months because I knew if I continued, I would be using it as a crutch. So like, I can just pour my heart and soul into it and then never discuss it again, going back to the, you know, avoiding therapy through the use of my games. It's a very fine line between, am I just using this as a personal diary or am I using this to get out a feeling after I've processed it, processed it, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Let me ask, did you, uh, I, I forget if you mentioned this already, did you get any sort of um, professional game design training or education? Like going to a college uh, or a school or some sort? Yeah, I went to the University of Baltimore. Um, they have a degree called Simulation and Digital Entertainment, which is just a big fancy way of saying game design. I, I um, ask that because uh, I, I wondered if you had ever had some sort of instruction of a, a game design teacher saying, you know, when you're making a game that like has a part of yourself in it, you know, I wonder if there was any sort of instruction that they ever gave you as like, you know, don't make a don't make a game just to spill your guts onto a page and and put it out there because like a probably fewer people will enjoy it that way and b uh, uh, it won't be healthy for you of course. So I wondered if they right. said something along the lines of like when you're making a memoir style game, uh, approach it this way. Nope. No. No. Uh, no. I mostly tried to emulate. Um... And I spoke about Nina before, I believe, um, how I thought her games were structured, just because um, to me, she is the first person uh, designer I think of when I think memoir stuff, memoir, oh my God, I can't talk, memoir <laughs> style games, just because you can tell, especially um, Mangia and Sybil, Sybil specifically, uh, it's a game about... Um, 
uh, finding a relationship online and it is based off of Nina's personal life, but it was something that happened to her when she was pretty young and she made this game as a full-fledged adult. Um, and I looked as that, at that as my first example of, you know, what parts of this game are true and what parts of it aren't like, can I figure that out on my own? Um, I mostly just looked at her games as kind of the, the, the guiding light on how I should kind of walk the line between what's too much and what isn't. Um, there's no how to make personal games 101. Mm -hmm. Uh, there should be, but there isn't. It's kind of um, trial and error and a lot of asking people that you trust to look over it I, for feedback. The, uh, I, I imagine that like if, you're, if, if you have good educators in your life, uh, oftentimes, of course, they'll, they'll know that, uh, especially with like the rapid pace of, of technology in the game space, but uh, they'll know that there's no set way yeah of designing a game maybe more like giving you uh uh not goal posts but like kind of direction a, in, yeah just instruction on on how to direction uh on how to approach something but like still allow it to be your own uh, formulation of course but uh i i guess you know with with games like these two of course there's a there's an element to consider of the person playing it uh me or any of the other people who've played uh one of your twine games um depending on the game of course you know they could they can always have a very different impact on the people playing them and the beauty of games of course is that we we get to live an experience that isn't our own for a brief moment in time and that's why something as as simple as firing a gun or like going for a walk is different in a game than it is in a movie because it's not it's our action uh assumedly so is there any sort of thing like when you're making a game like these um and you're thinking about your own uh, uh therapeutic benefits or or ex personal expression from it uh are you ever thinking about the flip side of the coin of like well what what might this give to someone else because i do see uh, i think at least on on half and not if you can hear me uh there are a number of comments because they're on like itch.io and people can comment mm -hmm. there there were a number of comments that were like hey i i i deal with something similar too or like someone in my family uh dealt with alzheimer's or dementia uh and what are you thinking about the effects uh on the player and is there something that you're trying to communicate there or like what's i guess what would a game developer want to think about when they're thinking about the people who are about to play a like personally difficult game i would say that you should think about yourself first mm -hmm. uh at least for me with these types of twines that i've made i have never thought about the player when I make them. I think about myself as the player because I want it to be a good interactive experience. I want to make sure the mechanics are supplementing the gameplay. I want to make sure that it makes sense to experience, but I've never sat down and thought, okay, I'm going to write this for all my mixed fellas out there or like all of my people out there who have experienced grief and loss. Mm -hmm. It's more so I know that I have an experience 
it might not be unique because you know death is something that happens to everybody uh a lot of people experience some sort of identity issues um so my experiences aren't inherently unique but the way that i present them can be or the way that i choose to incorporate them can be um in my twines you play as quote unquote me uh you play as emma but that isn't me it is a fictionalized version of me that i can control uh because i learned in therapy that i like to be able to control how i view myself how others view me and how i can control a situation which is perfect for memoir games because i could slap myself as being this completely different type of person um who did all of these things, but I, it's almost like, and I think I'm going to go off on a tangent here, but it's almost like processing something twice, Mm -hmm. um, where if you process whatever you're going through, whether it's trauma or something that happened to you a few years ago that you're still thinking on, or just, you know, grief, um, it's great to be able to do that. And it might not have to be therapy, but Um, I think that is the best place to do it. Uh, It's a good place to reflect on. Um, It's a good place to have your first pass, I guess. If you're thinking of it from like an editing standpoint, you know, you sit down and you write a bunch of garbage and you're scared to show it to someone else, but you have to because that's how you're going to get it published. And you show it to someone and then they ask you, what does this mean? Can you walk me through what you meant? by this sentence Mm -hmm. can we unpack this and there's a lot of value in being able to kind of have that buffer between hitting publish and thinking on it um so that's kind of i guess the the difference that i've had between making two of these games is just having a lot of outside perspective of myself that didn't answer your question very well, but <laughs> no, you know, it, it's okay. And sometimes it's just, it's one of those things that like, you got to let sit for a minute. Uh, yeah. I, let's talk a little bit about, um, I forgive me. I forget the name of the game, uh, but you made another twine game that uh, uh, dealt with, um, I, I forget if it was specifically meant to be like a representation of you or just a completely separate character. So forgive me for botching some details here, but there's a game where you're uh, like sharing a cigarette with a friend. Uh, uh, both of you are coming like uh, off or uh, dealing with like eh, not great uh, rela- like actual relationships with your actual partners. And there is at one point a decision to kind of push the matter and, uh, uh, push the matter of like your attraction to this friend uh, and you can even go in for a kiss although I think at least in my playthrough like it was kind of it, it didn't happen um, yeah it'll never happen yeah uh, so one thing that like games too not just the uh, the actions of ourselves in a game but what we do to other people in a game or NPCs or just representations of people and, 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 you know, living thinking beings. Uh, I feel like that might have like ties to therapy too of, you know, 
part of my therapy has been learning like, well, how do I how do I treat people better if I have a lot of this like envy and jealousy and I don't want to treat people like, uh, you know, stepping steps on a ladder. Um, so did, did you like learn anything from the experience of making that game and kind of parsing through those feelings uh, when you're dealing with a game that like allows you to commit an action upon someone else you know it's not it's one thing to say like oh i walked into the living room and i decided to sit on the couch and i decided to say this or that uh but it's another thing to say i decided to do this thing to someone else you know or at least attempt to do this thing to someone else did that help you parse through anything that like you feel had a kind of therapeutic benefit yeah uh so the the game that you're referencing is called uh, God of Light, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, I made that, I think, when I first started going to therapy, and that was very self-indulgent for me. And I think that would be the best example of me making something based on a feeling or a memory, actually, and then completely making up the rest of it. Mm. Or... Did I? Um, It was a lot of a mixture of if I could go back to being 17 and with the adult brain that I have now, how would I go through it? It's kind of like when you think of the past and you're wondering, you know, what if I had done this differently? So it's very self-indulgent. And I, when I was writing it, I was trying to think of how would I write the idea of this person, this real life person, or how, how do I remember them? And what would I do then that, or what would I do? Yeah. Then that I couldn't do. Um, So it was very much a very different experience, uh, which is great about writing personal games because it can it can very much be just how you're feeling at that point in time. Um, and it doesn't have to be very sad, um, which I have to remind myself a lot because again, sadness does not equal greatness in terms of your content quality. Um, I think it's, it's almost hard to answer that just because I wasn't, processing anything there Mm -hmm. you were just kind of spilling things out right that was again like the most self-indulgent game i think i'd made just because i was sitting and i was thinking i got a lot of feelings about attraction and i don't think that i can do anything else right now in terms of making something so i'm going to take six months to think about a girl i had a crush on in high school and that's it and that can be okay and that i think is also a valid way of processing something that happened to you that you don't necessarily think would be valuable in terms of discussing in therapy. Mm-hmm. Cause again, that is whatever you make it to be. Um, especially with my therapist, we always discuss that my journey is whatever I want it to be. There's no pressure to talk about anything and everything. Uh, it's just, a tool that's going to help me learn how to process everything in my life. Um, So 
I didn't need it then. And well, that's not to say that I didn't need therapy then. I definitely did. But when making that game specifically, it was more of a, I've already filtered this through several years mm -hmm. and I just want to get it out into that space right now. So it was a, a very different experience because everything else was very much processing this now and I got to get it out now. Um, it, again, it's a lot of self-reflection and asking like, who am I doing this for? Yeah. It's me, but you know, why do I want to do this now? I think in a in a way, it probably does mirror the actual like act of therapy itself too, because um, oh, it, in in therapy, usually you're you're talking about something that happens uh, either long ago or maybe like relatively recently mm -hmm. in the past. And you and your therapist are you know sitting down and trying to say, like, well, how did you feel about it then? How do you feel about it now? And giving you some sort of actionable plan for dealing with it in the moment later. Uh, so Correct. I suppose in a way, yeah, the, making these games, of course, especially if you uh, get to filter them through, like, I still have personal hangups, you know, like relationships romantic or otherwise where i'm like you know oh what well what would have happened if i wasn't like the way i was back then or mm -hmm. you know like i feel really bad that like this friendship or relationship i had kind of really fizzled out etc uh and being able to, i i now i'm 27 years old i've had plenty of time to stew in but also uh constructively reflect on you know, uh, w what I did wrong or right or what I couldn't have done uh, in those scenarios. And uh, of course, I think a, a part of that maybe too is just learning to let go is a very important thing uh, yeah. in all therapeutic conquest. But uh, yeah, I, I could imagine like the difference between making a game uh, several years after the the kind of moment that inspired it or the the period of your life that inspired it versus hey i'm i you know what i'm i'm feeling really conflicted about this right now and it's like it's definitely like a thing on my mind right right now uh can definitely result in two different kind of styles of uh games and you know the communications of therapy within yeah exactly again great way of condensing everything i just said so thank you hey you know that's that's why they pay me big bucks by which i mean zero <laughs> uh <laughs> i'll tell you what uh you know i twine games themselves are kind of uh an interesting concept to me because i could be wrong i i am not a i've never made a twine game but they seem they seem laughably accessible uh, for even like the average person to be able to make some sort of text adventure style game or narrative adventure style game uh, and have allowed a lot of people, of course, to uh, make interactive or semi-interactive uh, experiences that, you know, uh, oftentimes uh, communicate plenty about themselves. What do you think that it seems to be Twine games that really... Uh, I see a lot more twine games like this than I would ever see, of course, a a really well-produced uh, AAA game uh, like Hellblade, Senua's Sacrifice deals with mental illness and such. That's rarer over in that space. Why do you think twine games are such excellent platforms for memoir games and, and sort of therapeutic experiences like this? I think because it's so accessible, um, it's a free 
engine. The learning curve is basically, I mean, all you have to know is some HTML and CSS if you really want to make it look pretty, but um, a little bit of programming knowledge, but I mean, it's mostly just JavaScript if you want to get fancy. So it's not terribly hard. It's stuff that you can definitely teach yourself. So I think just being able to have a platform where um, you can do basically whatever you want, you can write whatever the hell you want. And that's very uh, scary. And it's also very freeing. Um, and I think because it's such an accessible platform and the barrier for entry is not very scary, it's a welcoming place, I think, to make personal games, especially. Um, and there's, I, I don't know, I think there's a reason why they don't pop up in like big budget AAA games or even like, I don't know what the phrase for a big indie is, triple I, mm -hmm. I'm not sure. Um, is that, I mean, I think, I don't know. It's very, you can tell, I think, uh, depending on who the rare, the writer was, you, there's going to be personal elements of that person's life in that, in any game, mm. no matter what. Um, I think it, it's just, I don't think it's as, um, uh, what's the word? It's not as in your face. It's not, it's not as in your face. You you can't play like a Firewatch and go, you know, oh, that guy was going through some stuff. Like, you know, you can, but you could play my game and go, oh, she was going through some stuff. It's much more um, unavoidable there, I imagine. Right. Because yeah. I don't go through anybody else. I go through me. Yeah. Um, and because I don't have a team or a lot of hoops to jump through or trying to justify to shareholders or people that will give me money because none of my games are for sale uh none of them are commercial in the sense that i make them for people i make them for me which isn't a great business strategy so don't do that <laughs> but yeah it's it's a good engine i mean i i don't know why people wouldn't want to use it because it makes like i've played some of the best games like from itch specifically and also made on twine there's just something i think more there's just something really powerful about being able to read something on a screen mm -hmm. uh especially that sounds kind of dumb because you read words when you play any game emma but when it's just text mm -hmm. and you're you're forced there and you're 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 the one that has to come up with the scenario in your head and if the writer is really good, they'll do a good job of doing that for you. I don't know. Twine is just really good. And I'm not doing a great job explaining why everyone should use it. Well, but... I, I think that like with Twine, of course, you get you get a uh, like you said, it, it's one person versus even on a uh, like a larger indie game uh, versus several people. And once you get into the AAA space, you know, hundreds of people and even when you get uh like a game that says you know written by uh this or that writer so you think like oh, okay this this story was like really crafted by one really well accomplished writer uh it still goes through so many filters of course to uh uh become a game or become a gamified experience of like well okay sure the story is telling us this this tale of a person going through x y or z uh conflict but 
how do we make this fun? You know, and there's there's so right. many different uh, layers that it has to go through. Whereas, I it's almost like a Twine games feel almost like a like when you're playing through Gone Home or something like that, and you pick up a diary entry, uh, mm-hmm. or or uh, Sam the sister starts to uh, kind of narrate something important to you, and you get to you get to stop for a moment. You get to take it all in you could i guess in some sense like keep walking onward uh but like i feel like most people kind of like sit and let the dialogue kind of flow over them and that kind of feels like a twine game is a series of those kinds of moments and you're right on the money as far as like it's just text on a screen usually uh there there is so little to distract you I, I have trouble getting through any book these days, uh, but a, a Twine game, perhaps because of the blend of like, it's slightly interactive, I'm the one making a decision right. here, or like, I feel a sense of ownership over this character, even if it's not, even if it's about someone distinctly other than me, uh, you get to, you get to have a little bit of ownership over all that. So yeah. I, I, do you think I hit the mark there? Yeah. Um, especially with, um, uh, adding the interactive component into it because I'm pretty sure if I'm remembering correctly someone asked me why not just make them like tiny little books yeah like why not just make it like three or four pages long um like why did you have to put interactive elements into your twines just make it a book or something similar and I my answer to that is just a I don't want to and b I want whoever is playing to feel as like they're me, they're me in that moment. And I, games again are just that medium where you get to experience whatever is in front of you in a way that you can't through a movie or a book because it's interactive. And interactive can just be, I get to click on the word and something happens. Mm. It can be simple as that. It doesn't have to be, now you have to choose. Like it just, it doesn't, you know, you shouldn't have to justify mm-hmm. making whatever you want. That didn't. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> no, you're right. You're right. Like there, there's, there's an element to like, well, why do you make music this way? You know, like, well, it, are the emotions I'm communicating any less valid than yours? You know, it, it doesn't. It doesn't matter the genre. It doesn't matter the instrument. It, it just matters that like what the artist wants to communicate gets communicated, uh, or that right. the audience, exactly. you know, is maybe getting something out of it. Tell you what, we will we'll wrap up with. We've talked a lot about today about just the, the the pitfalls, of course, of using these games as therapy when uh, perhaps you know, like most people, we should all be seeking uh, a real legitimate therapy uh, to help us. But when you're making these kinds of games uh, and when you're processing these kinds of experiences over a, a fairly long period of time, as you build something from scratch and, and put it out there in the world, uh, this question will seem laughably broad, but I guess what are the things that we should be, how do I say this? How do we <laughs> constructively and positively design memoir games um and and still leave ourselves 
open to the benefits of therapy without shutting ourselves off because we made this thing it's done i never have to think about that that topic that upsets me again how do we avoid that in going on in the future that's a great question um i think there's a lot of value in using games as a creative outlet to just get what you're feeling out there and it I think is less, it's less harmful, especially if you don't publish it. It's almost like when you're really upset and you write a letter and, you know, you're told, okay, write the letter, but don't send it or write an email, but don't send it. You get the benefit of unleashing all of that feeling and expression without the consequence, Mm -hmm. I guess. So If you're thinking about, you know, okay, I'm feeling this and I want to make a game about it. If I'm not actively, I guess, don't kill yourself trying to make your art. Um, Nothing is worth your own uh, sanity. Um, You don't owe, you know, your creativity to anybody, even though you think it's going to help. Like when I made Not If You Can Hear Me, I wasn't in a great space, but I genuinely felt like I had to get it out there and I didn't have to publish it, but I don't even, I think I just published it because I wanted something to show for it. Like I want a manifestation of everything that I was feeling can you hear me, and I Emma? want other people no, to look at it. Can. Why? I don't know. Cause it's embarrassing to put yourself out there in a very personal way. And I don't think I would have continued doing personal games without having that uh, validation uh, because it did make me realize that if I want to keep continue to do this, I can't do it in the way that I just did, which is um, completely not processing any of my feelings before I needed to talk about them, I guess. Um, Yeah. Even if you can't afford therapy or you can't seek therapy for whatever reason, I think it's very much worth doing everything as a rough draft and sitting on it. Just sit on it. Don't. It's very easy to want to talk yourself into like being in a fit of passion and getting out a bunch of good stuff and then clicking publish immediately. But I think that's kind of a reactionary thing to anything, good or bad, especially bad. Um, Me personally, anytime I go through any sort of big change that wasn't pretty great, I immediately want to do something drastic. So in real life, that could be, oh, you know, something happened to me, might as well move across the country. Um, Luckily, I have this buffer now where I can sit down in this space and say, I'm feeling all of these things. I want to genuinely unpack everything before I put it out into the world. I may never publish it, but it's great being able to sit down and write what I'm feeling now that I've processed it, whatever that looks like. And it feels more genuine because you're being more honest with yourself and just take care of yourself first. Your health is more important than anything. Um, And especially personal games, like take care of your brain first. Uh, 
the creative stuff can definitely come after, but you're no service to yourself if you are harming yourself for content. Uh, that was a long-winded way of saying, just be nice to yourself. <laughs> well, Emma, thank you so much for giving me a window into you know memoir games and their uses therapy and some of their pitfalls too. Uh, it, going to therapy myself has been this really weird experience. Like I described earlier, it's just, uh, uh, although I will say that like, even though I, I started, I started January, 2020 off on a really bad foot, just feeling hella depressed. Uh, and I found myself thinking about like, Oh, therapy is coming up on the 15th for me. That's when my, my therapist gets back into his office. And I'm really excited to go back to therapy. And I never thought I'd be kind of like that guy who's like really excited to go to the doctor, but uh, I think maybe that speaks to the importance of therapy. And uh, I really thank you for uh, making the games that you make that help uh, <laughs> that help kind of uh, just give me a window into like the other kinds of things that people go through that, you know, I, I, I am a fairly privileged straight white guy. Uh, it, it is, it is good that I have uh, games and places like that to experience uh, walks of life like that too. And, uh, where, where can people find that work? They can find it at my itch page, which is mkid.itch.io. Uh, anything that I publish will be on there because itch is a fantastic platform. So put all of your games on there anyway. Um, and if people want to follow me on Twitter, they can at Emma Kidwell. I mostly just tweet about dumb stuff, but sometimes it's good. So you never know. You won't know until you follow me. The the dumb stuff is always good stuff. That's my rule. <laughs> Absolutely. And folks, you can find more dumb stuff on the 1099. More good stuff too, don't you worry. Uh, every Monday here on your favorite podcast platform of choice. We're on Spotify. We're on iTunes, Stitcher. Uh, SoundCloud, of course, is our main one there. And if you like the show, if you like what you hear, make sure to follow us on Twitter uh, at the 1099 podcast to share the show. Give it a rating on iTunes. That helps us. I really want to beat uh, P.S. I love you. Um, that damn Greg Miller. Damn him. <laughs> damn him to hell. Uh, but no. Uh, and we will see you guys next week. Thank you so much. Thank you.